Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter, Do Death. Hi, Phoebe. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, it's uh, been an interesting week. We had a, a very pleasant Monday afternoon and evening together, didn't we? We did. A little cheeky trip to London. Yes, we went to see a concert version of, well, a piece of true crime that happened 90-ish years ago. Yeah. Mainly in Texas and surrounding states. Uh, That Mm -hmm. was Bonnie and Clyde, which is a legendary story of gangsters and moles. (laughs) It is, yeah. I think you always think they killed a lot more people than they did, or that they were a lot better at being criminals than they were. (laughs) But, yes. Yeah. I can't get over how far they travelled. Yeah. Between all the various states and things, just robbing small groceries and small time places. Yeah. And uh, that was dedication, <laughs> if nothing yeah. else. Yeah. And, and they were uh, so young. They were very young. Yeah. Well, he was what? 25. 25 when the, when yeah. he died, and she was 23. So, yeah. Not very old for being. In and out of prison as much as he had been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and all the things he had to uh, put up with in there. But also, I yeah. think their ending was perhaps a little unjust. They wouldn't get away with it these days. Yeah, no, that was uh, yeah, that kind of we had to stop them at all costs. Sort yeah, of absolutely. mentality. They just totally destroyed them. <laughs> yeah, the lynch mob just sort of ambushed them, didn't they? Yeah, pump the car and them and everything around them full of bullets yeah there's loads of pictures of that you know like yeah you can, and them as well i think like the photos of like them in the car and wow. especially the car and you can still see the car i think it's a um it's home casino in prim in nevada it's a nice car <laughs> i mean it probably wasn't theirs was it <laughs> <laughs> it was probably stolen yeah i'd imagine so so, yeah, it was good. Yeah. A, a good piece of musical theatre. Two nights yes. only. We were very lucky to get seats. Did you see the link that I sent you that they've, yeah. they've announced that it's opening? So, yes. yeah, and they've announced that it's opening now. So it'd be really interesting to see how it plays and if they get any names in it, because as much as we like it, we kind of said, didn't we, that we think it needs a name to kind of attract people It to probably it. does, yeah. It depends who they cast, I guess, in, in some of that. Yeah. But, uh, it's good fun. It's great music. So. Yeah. Look up Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, what original Broadway cast? I suppose you'll find yeah. that on Spotify if you want to hear the music. Anyway, moving away from the legend of Bonnie and Clyde and <laughs> musical interpretations thereof, I have a story to tell you this evening. Okay. Actually, it starts around about that same sort of era, sort of in the uh, first okay. half of the twentieth century, and my inspiration. This week, again, comes from France, which I'm finding a really rich source of serial killers and uh, mm. and intriguing murderers. I think as some of the other cases we've looked at that come from France, uh, they yeah, do true, true crime actually, well yeah. in France. <laughs> yeah. When, when they, yeah. They, when they do it, they, they commit to it. <laughs> yeah. So this week, Phoebe, I'm going to tell you about Bernard Pesquet. Okay. He was born on March 18th, 1922, in 
Ergleville-sur-Sea, which is in the north of the country, uh, kind of between Dieppe and Rouen. Oh, okay, cool. Sadly, his mother died when he was quite young, and he was brought up by his maternal grandfather until around about 1931, so he'd only been eight or nine, when there were obviously problems between Bernard and his grandfather's partner. Presumably, okay. he's like step-grandmother. Right. So he couldn't live with them anymore. And so for the next four or five years, he, he probably had a very unsettled life, living mm. with his father, living with other relatives. It was a bit of a difficult beginning for him. Yeah. But in 1936, at the age of 14, Bernard went to a boarding school where he stayed for four months. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So he started work shortly after. So, yeah, and he's still only 14. And his first job was in a glass factory, but he only stuck that out for a year. Okay. In 1938, when he was 16, Pesquet joined his uncle in Rouen to become a cook. But he left that a month later. So there's already a pattern starting where uh, he was a little bit unsettled, maybe because of his early upbringing yeah. um, understandable he, he wasn't able to stick with anything for very long now the second world war broke out in september 1939 but on september the 29th that same year he was arrested on charges of shoplifting oh, no. but was in actual fact later acquitted okay <laughs> but on his 18th birthday march the 18th 1940 bernard pesquet passed his radio electrician exam. All right, okay. Yeah, so he must have studied well for that. So although he hadn't yet come of age, he was, uh, which was 21 in those days, he moved into a two-room apartment at 95 Rue aux Ours, which he made both his home and his workshop. Cool. And in the neighbourhood, Pesquet was nicknamed the Little Electrician because... He was of quite a diminutive stature. Right, okay. Now, famously, France was then occupied by Germany during World War II. And in June 1940, Pesquet was required to work at the German soldiers' foyer, which was like what we would call barracks. Oh, okay. It's it's where the German soldiers were living while they were uh, occupying France, basically. And every morning, a black car would come to pick him up and take him to various locations around the area to sort of mend things, electrical things, radio sets. Basically, he just got on with it. He did whatever the occupiers told him to do. He didn't ask too many questions. and He kept his head down. And as a result, other people around him described him as being mysterious. Oh, Okay. <laughs> In 1941, when he was 19, Bernard Pesquet met Julien Kibel, a young man who was in his 20s. Bernard realised that he was probably bisexual, at least. Okay. And uh, Julien and Bernard started a relationship and uh, they became lovers. Okay. Uh, It didn't last very long, though. And Um... on the evening of August the 22nd, 1941... Pesquet beat Julien Kibel to death with an iron oh bar my God. and slashed his veins with a razor. 
That's quite a, a yeah. escalation. It is. Kibel yes. had no possibility of defending himself against this attack, and he died of his wounds. Jeez. And the body was found the next day, not far from Pesquet's home. Wow. Okay. Mm. Now Pesquet was quickly suspected by the by Julien's family because of their romantic relationship, and in fact. Pesquet was arrested on August 25th, so just two or three days later. And he was held for about three days of questioning and he wasn't giving anything away until on the third day when he actually did confess to having killed Julien Kibel. Pesquet said that he killed him because he wanted to steal his savings and all of his money and get any possessions he could sell. Uh, and that he was suspicious of Julien Kibel because of his collaboration with the Germans and the and with Germany, which is a bit rich coming from him <laughs> as he's yeah. been doing all this work. But um, that was the that was his defence anyway to okay. uh, to the police that uh, he thought he was um, an infiltrator or something. Okay. So anyway, on the strength of that. Pesquet was remanded in custody. He was tried for the murder of Julien. Being over the age of 16, he actually qualified for the death penalty. Oh, wow. Okay. But because he was still a minor, under 21, he was 19, uh, it was probably never going to be imposed. So although it was on the statute book that he could have been sentenced to death, in all likelihood he would never be. And, And indeed he wasn't. Okay, good. On November the 8th, 1941, Bernard Pesquet was sentenced to hard labour for life. Oh, wow. <laughs> and at that time, life imprisonment did not allow for the possibility of release. So he expected to die serving his sentence. Wow, okay. Compared to like some of the cases and the sentences that we see today, that feels like a really big sentence for just killing one person. Not just, but you know, like compared to some of the, yeah. the murders that we see happen today, and then how long people spend in prison, life without any sort of potential of life without the possibility of parole. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. For the nineteen forties, being sentenced to hard labour. Yeah, and um, I believe as well that it would have been away from France somewhere. I'm not entirely sure where he had to spend his sentence, but uh, I believe it wasn't actually in France. He yeah. was well, that, French colony or something. Yeah, that case that we covered last week, um, which is a, a hundred years earlier than this, but she got sent off to like yeah. an African yeah. place to go and serve her hard yeah. labour. And, and France had a number of colonies. I mean, parts of North Africa are yeah. French, so it was probably somewhere like that. I guess we used to send people to Australia, didn't we? Yeah, we did, yes. <laughs> so in March 1943, Bernard Pesquet turned 21. At the start of his incarceration, France was at war and many of the prisoners that were being held were starving to death in detention because there just wasn't any food, whether he was being held in France or wherever it was. A lot of these prisoners being forced to do hard labour were just uh, dropping dead, basically. However, because he was young and fit he managed to survive and in 1944 Pesquet retracted his confession that he 
had made to the death of Julien Kivel and applied to have his sentence reviewed. Okay. He appealed, basically. Maybe he was saying that that, uh, that confession was beaten out of me. Yeah. Uh, and in 1945, as World War II came to an end, prison conditions began to improve. Maybe there was a bit more food and maybe the conditions weren't as bad. But Pesquet learned that his appeal had been rejected. Oh. In 1951, so he'd now been in prison for 10 years, there was a change in the law where uh, it was possible for prison sentences to be reduced. Oh, Okay. So people that had been sentenced to life may actually have an opportunity to be released. Okay. And then in 1960, so he's now been in prison for like 19 years or uh, hard labour. Penal labour was abolished in France altogether. Okay. And Pesquet's sentence was automatically converted to life with the chance of parole. Okay. Crazy. That penal labour was only abolished in 1960. Yeah. That's really not that long ago. No, not really. He was considered a likely candidate for release because throughout the time he'd been there or doing his uh, hard labour, he was a model prisoner with a clean record. Okay. Well, that's good, I guess. Yeah. On October the 12th, 1961, Pesquet was paroled. Okay. And he returned to mainland France. So that, that that's how... My source is describing it, but okay. <laughs> quite where he'd been, I'm not entirely sure. Somewhere in a penal colony. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was 39, and he was happy to finally be free and to build yeah. what he hoped would be a normal life. He settled in the Parisian suburb of Pierre-Elais and was even thought of as something of a celebrity by his neighbours. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> he's the man that spent 20 years in a penal colony and uh, thought he yeah. was going to die there and he's, he's come back. And with a year, he set up a painting and decorating business, which um, went really well okay. for him. He became such a member of the community and running his own business that he became a member of the local Chamber of Commerce. Nice. In 1968, when he was 46, he met Christiane Roux, who was 19 years younger than him. But they married that same year. And then from the early 1970s, Christiane began to run away from (laughs) Bernard when disputes broke out with him. And the disputes were usually around money, as Christiane had expensive tastes and Pesquet never really had enough money to satisfy her. Oh. Bearing in mind that um, he'd been done for shoplifting. Well, yeah, he was arrested for shoplifting. He murdered someone for their money. Yeah. In his defence, he described Christiane as being a fickle woman. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she thought she was marrying this older man for his money and then discovered that yeah. he hadn't actually got any. So. Oh, yeah, maybe, Yeah. <laughs> Then in 1974, so they'd been married for six years, Christiane discovered her husband's criminal past. So quite how he'd been able to keep it wow. such a secret. <laughs> or maybe just discovered that uh, he, was, uh, <laughs> he was a murderer. As yeah. well as finding out about his homosexuality, and she was not happy. Oh. And neither was Bernard Pesquet. Because on November the 23rd, 1974... He shot Christiane 
with a 7.65 millimeter rifle. He Ooh. left her in agony until she basically bled out and died. Oh no. Yeah. He then buried her body in the basement of the house. What is it with these people burying the bodies of the people they kill in their house? Yeah, I know. I suppose I suppose at the time it's you don't have to take them outside the house. So that's, yeah, that's true. So that there's no um yeah, no one can see you carrying a body about, but yeah. on the other hand. Like, I mean I get that side of it, but it's just yeah. <laughs> All these people with just bodies in their house. I know. Or just put them in a cupboard and paper over the door. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or put them under the patio. I'd probably go under the patio, I reckon. Probably less creepy. Is there outside? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sleeping with a dead body in your house. And in the days following the murder of his wife, Bernard Pesquet, who was questioned by the neighbours saying, well, I haven't seen your wife for a while, just said, oh, she's she's run off again. <laughs> We've had another argument and she's run off. That was his sort of <laughs> excuse or, yeah, his reason that she wasn't around. Uh, and in early 1975, Pesquet wrote a letter to his wife's parents saying that their daughter had turned out to be a fickle wife or whatever the French translation (laughs) of that is. Uh, And he detailed some of her annoying habits when it came to money matters in this letter. And he also wrote in the letter that he was sorry for the departure of his wife. Okay. So he was saying, yeah, I'm sorry I couldn't satisfy her. She wanted too much uh, and she's run off and I'm, I'm very sorry, but there you go. That's so nice to speak ill of the dead like that. <laughs> the the claim that she'd run away was credible because I think she'd done mm. it a couple of times before. But Christiane owed money to some of her family. Oh, okay. So she'd borrowed money from them as well. And they thought it strange that she would just disappear without uh, sort of making good on that. So they were okay. a little bit uh, suspicious, but there was no evidence to suggest anything. Right. Had happened other than she just walked away. And her disappearance remained a mystery. I think these days you'd say, right, um, missing person, <laughs> let's look at them. Let's look at the spouse. Yeah. Let's look, let's at, look the at the house. <laughs> uh, yes, the house and the spouse. <laughs> the house and the spouse, yeah. So there was um, Bernard living his life on his own again for a year and a half. When a 52-year-old estate agent called Henri Franqui mm-hmm. started approaching Bernard, wanting to buy the house. Okay. I think it happened quite a few times. He, he, he was constant, well, constantly, but several times he'd come around and say, will you sell me your house? I really want this house. Will you sell me the house? This is how the story goes, that, uh, he, yeah. he, <laughs> that he was badgering Bernard to sell him his house okay. in, in uh, Pierre L.A. Eventually, Bernard got fed up with that. So he got out his rifle again and he shot Franqui. Oh, no. And he also buried his body in the basement. But uh, Bernard, who again was in a state of absolutely having no money, <laughs> used Franqui's checkbook and he sold okay. his car. So quite how uh, that wasn't noticed that he disappeared. And, yeah. You know, again, it's a bit strange. It's, there's a lot of holes in this story, which I can yeah. only apologise for. It. 
So by this time, Bernard Pesquet has sort of got into a different league, really, of of crime. He's now killed two people, one at least for financial gain. And on the 29th of July, 1976, Pesquet went to Neuilly-sur-Seine to visit a retired couple who had asked him round to decorate their house, being that he was a painter and decorator. And living in the house was Emile Burgard, 71, his wife Alice Burgard, 73, and they had a 63-year-old housekeeper, Alfaya Borgioni. Okay. So, yeah, as I, as I say, Pesco is always looking for opportunities to get money, either mm-hmm. legitimately or <laughs> through criminal... Illegitimately. Illegitimately, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, basically, he, while he was in the house, he shot the Burgard couple as well as Mrs. Borgioni. Oh, no. He then ransacked the house, including a safe that was located in the bathroom, stealing money and jewellery, and he just left without anybody stopping him or um, oh my goodness, or, or getting in his way or apprehending him. Family members of the uh, yeah, family members of the Burgard couple became concerned when they hadn't heard from them, and then when they discovered the three blooded corpses commissioner claude conseil was immediately put on the case good old claude conseil good old claude (laughs) Uh, when police arrived at the scene the police discovered that mrs burgard had actually received a letter from bernard pesquet in which he had announced that he was going to come to the home to like confirm the appointment basically to uh, okay to come and size them up for painting and decorating and knowing that uh, Pesquet lived sort of in the region the gendarme went to his home for his okay. testimony and then when the police when the gendarme realized that he had already spent 20 years in prison for murder they decided to immediately place him in custody it's a good decision to yeah. make <laughs> so there was a letter there sort of confirming that he was having a, had an appointment with them. They were found slaughtered shortly after that. And they he's got a history. He's got a history. <laughs> yeah, maybe a tad circumstantial. But yeah, um... best of a safe side, I guess. Uh there was some incriminating evidence though, because jewels and gold bars that belonged to the Burgard couple were found in Pesquet's home. <gasps> That's pretty incriminating. Um, yeah, but he remained silent on it. He didn't confess to anything. I suppose he wasn't going to uh, allow that to happen again after what no. happened back in 1941. In August 1976, Pesquet was remanded in custody for the triple murder, although he denied it. He once again faced the death penalty. No. However, the gendarme, including... Claude Conseil suspected him of being involved with several suspicious and unresolved disappearances, including that of his wife, which which occurred less than two years earlier. But uh, I think they might have thought that there were others as well. That's interesting. On August 11th, 1976, the investigators searched the house and garden of Pesquet's house. They eventually found the skeletal body of Christiane, as well as that of Henri Franqui, who -hmm. was in an advanced state of decomposition. 
because Mm-mm. he hadn't been dead quite so long. No. Pesquet was cornered. Uh, he confessed to those two murders and uh, was ultimately charged with them. Pesquet earned the nickname of the Landru du Valdois because of the way that he attracted people into his sort of confidence and then killed them for their money in the same way that Henri Landru had done uh, okay. several decades earlier. A, a previous episode, Henri yes, Landru. indeed. Check that one out. Commissioner Claude Conseil and the other investigators were very happy to have uh, basically proved the case against Pesquet. Uh, and as I say, they, um, they think he may have killed other people between his release from prison in October 61 and his arrest in 1976, apart from his wow. wife and the estate agent. Probably it's 15 years, I guess, where he could have been yeah. killing people for the money, yeah. While he was being held in custody, Bernard Pesquet tried to escape, but being aged 54, he was immediately overpowered by prison guards. He was being prosecuted for the murders of five people, including the, uh, the three people in the house and his what, wife and the estate agent. And he knew that he faced the death penalty, mm-hmm. um, which by this stage had become a kind of a lottery for prisoners okay. because it was around about this time that the death penalty in France was being abolished. Um, right. We've had this discussion quite recently haven't we, about uh, in, in our quiz. In fact, we mentioned the last time yep. that uh, someone was executed in France by Madame Guillotine. So a bit of history to this. In January 1977, during the trial of Patrick Henri, Robert Badinter he delivered a plea for the abolition of the death penalty and he spelt out to the jury in the case that he was part of, Patrick Henry case, that what the Advocate General was asking for was the head of the young man. He was trying to say, do you realise that if, if the Advocate General gets his way and this, this man is prosecuted and sentenced to the death penalty, you will be culpable for providing the head of this man on a Platter, basically. <laughs> okay. And Badinter showed, demonstrated to France that pretty much every other European country had abolished the death penalty by now. Yeah. And he pointed out there was an incompatibility between sort of judicial killing and Christian morality. So basically, he, yeah. he, he got hold of France and shook it and said, don't be so silly killing people. It's barbaric. It doesn't fit you with our life and times anymore. Yeah. So in that particular case, Patrick Henry's life was saved. He, he didn't face the guillotine and he was sentenced to a life in prison instead. That's so cool. this was going on at around about the same time. As I say, the death penalty was being withdrawn. Even after the sentencing of Patrick Henri, who was like the test case for the abolition of the death penalty in France. There were two final executions carried out in France. Jérôme Karine on June the 23rd, 1977, and Hamida Jandoubi on September the 10th, 1977. Famously the last person in France to have been executed. Mm -hmm. Anybody else who was waiting on death row, as it were, 
uh, at that time in France were either pardoned by President Valérie Giscard d'Estaing or saw their sentence commuted to life. Okay. So being pardoned seems a bit um, <laughs> a bit of a reaction. Yeah, that seems a bit weird to um, to say, oh, you can go now just because you got rid of this. Yeah. It's a bit like uh, when they released all the prisoners from prison in Peter London's case because oh, yeah. they ran out of room in the prison. Yeah, because of, uh, of the military down the road were beating up their wives and then yeah. <laughs> so we'll let you out of prison to go and murder other people <laughs> yes as it turned out yeah once a murderer i think we've seen that mm. a couple of times now as well haven't we wow <laughs> yeah in this case so the trial of bernard pesquet was a very long and drawn out thing for a couple of years between 1977 and 1979, Pesquet and his lawyers tried the best that they could to plead for leniency on the grounds of diminished responsibility. They tried to demonstrate that he was disconnected from reality. He painted all these sort of different variations of the story to try and demonstrate that he was suffering from some sort of schizophrenia. But psychiatric experts contested this showing that basically Bernard Pesquet was seeking to delay his judgment in order to avoid the guillotine because they they knew that it was probably going to be abolished at some point soon but was still on the statute books in France so by dragging all this out and by perhaps being able to uh, go on the basis of diminished responsibility he would avoid the execution okay Although Hamida Jandubi was the last person to be executed, it wasn't actually abolished until something like 1984, was it? So there was still the possibility that he could have been executed. So hence he was trying to uh, make out that he was suffering from schizophrenia. Understandable. (laughs) Yeah, and and they called him out as saying, well, you're only saying that to to try and avoid (laughs) having a job. So right through that one. Uh, yeah, so they, they basically said, well, because you're so aware of the crimes and hence you're trying to, to do this, that means you must be culpable otherwise. <laughs> so it kind of backfired. Fair enough. <laughs> so it wasn't actually until 1980 that the case went to court in okay. Val d'Oire. So it was still rumbling on this thing, and it wasn't actually until June 1982 that the trial proper started. Wow, okay. It was going on for such a long time. Jeez. He was tried for the assassination of Christiane Pesquet and that of Henri Franqui, as well as the triple murder of the Noily Sussain couple and the uh, and the housemaid as the housekeeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was then 60 years old. The trial itself rumbled on until 1984 what? so it has taken sort of like eight years to get this uh that's crazy <laughs> eight or nine years to get to resolution the main reason for the length of time was that yes he was sentenced to life imprisonment in 1982 but he lodged an appeal which quashed the verdict on a technicality in 1983. Right. So he had to be okay. retried in 1984. Right, okay. But again, he was sentenced to life. Now, by okay. this stage, he actually had prostate cancer and right, he okay. um, was quite poorly. And he 
didn't actually appear in the court on that particular occasion. Mm-hmm. By this time, he was about 62 years old and he was sentenced to life imprisonment. Wow. Where he stayed at the uh, Fresne prison until May the 10th, 2009, when he actually died of natural causes at the age of 87. Wow. So he recovered from the prostate cancer. (laughs) He did, yeah. So, yeah, he spent... 33 years that time, 20 years back in the uh, 40s and 50s. So he spent, yeah, something like 53 53 years of his 87 years on this earth in prison. Wow. More than half his life. More than half his life, yeah. So uh, there we go. Wow. That is the story of Bernard Pesquet. Interesting story. Some of the, uh, the records and everything are sort of translated from French so they may come across as a bit weird and and there there is some detail perhaps missing here and there but uh, nevertheless that is his story of how in his life he killed what a total of six people at least yeah mostly (laughs) mostly for financial gain wow thank you very much for sharing that story that was very interesting yeah there are there are pictures of him mainly being taken in and out of police stations and court and stuff (laughs) couple of mug shots and things after the last episode mm. set in portugal in contrast to what we've just been talking about in france they did actually abolish the death penalty in 18 yeah they did yeah whenever it was yeah it was it was still kept for certain crimes okay but as a sort of matter of course it was uh yeah portugal was one of the very first mm. countries in europe to abolish yeah. it because joe diego alvarez is one of the last people to be executed yeah, he was yeah yeah, yeah. So they're much just... in portugal than they are in <laughs> that was very interesting thank you yeah you're welcome i will put some pictures onto our usual social media pages fab i'll put them onto instagram which you can find at dad and daughter do death and on facebook Dad and daughter do death. If you've enjoyed this story or any of the others that we've covered in the previous 47 episodes, by all means, drop us a line. You can contact us. Dad and daughter do death at gmail.com. And both Instagram and Facebook have, of course, messaging facilities or leave us a comment. Yeah, drop us a message. Be good to hear from you. Yes, please do. So join us next time when once again, Dad and daughter. Do death.